beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This one kid in school named Troy Bell, third grade buddy of mine, um, this guy was the first guy picked on every sports team. I remember he was an amazing kickballer. If you, some of you played kickball, you know, that's a big deal in third grade. And I wanted to be great at kickball, but Troy was the man. He was picked first on every team. I was usually picked last. He was considered first by the teachers for some reason. He was just the, not the teacher's pet, he was like life's pet. I mean, everything about it. He just ended up being the first in everything. And the rest of us had some feeling of exclusion. Those are my earliest memories of exclusion, seeing somebody that was not excluded and what that looked like. I'm sure I experienced other periods over the course of my school years, but the time that I think I experienced it most um, painfully, I guess, or most difficult years of exclusion were the years that I spent on active duty in the Marine Corps being a single guy. Christy and I dated for five years. It took me five years to convince her that I was the man. During that five-year period, I was on active duty and was serving with guys that most of them were married. Christy and I got married at the age of 28, so most of my 20s were spent single. I was excluded during those years from having a bride to come home to. I was jealous of those guys that did. If we went out on a ship for training for a month, they had something to look forward to come home to, to a bride that would meet them. I came home to an empty studio apartment. I was jealous of those guys, and very literally, I was excluded from their covenant relationship. I was excluded from their covenant blessings. It was in 1995 that Christy and I got married, and once we entered into our own covenant, 
though our marriage was hard at times and continues to have periods that are challenging, I wouldn't want to go back to that period of being outside of the covenant blessings. Being excluded from something special is no fun. That's what this morning's message is about. I read the entire passage that we're going to spend the next three weeks in, but this morning we're only going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. I'd like to read those verses again since that's where we're going to camp out this morning. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time, listen to these, these exclusion words, you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers in the covenants of promise or to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Paul has written the letter of Ephesians to the Jews and Gentiles in the Ephesian church. There was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles there. But in this passage, in this section here, especially verses 11 and 12, he's speaking to Gentiles. Now, just so I can clarify, I don't want to make any assumptions in here this morning. Gentiles are everybody that's not a Jew. So unless some of you are ethnic Jews, we are all Gentiles this morning. We are just as much Gentile as these Ephesian Gentiles. And in this passage, he's dealing with the reality that they were excluded. The words separated, alienated, strangers, without God in the world. The rift between Jews and Gentiles was profound. You get a little sense of it here in this passage as you see a reference to the name-calling. You know when things um, come to name-calling, things have really gotten bad. And in this case, the name-calling is in both directions. You really only see this direction in this passage. The Jews referred to the Gentiles as the uncircumcised, but the Gentiles referred to the Jews as the circumcised. And think about this for a moment. We're just talking about a mark on the body. It would be like us referring or you referring to someone else as the tattooed or the pierced. Or a group of tattooed and pierced referring to those who aren't tattooed and pierced as the non-tatted and the non-pierced. It's a strange reference, and things were really bad between Jews and Gentiles for them to call each other names just based on a mark on the body. But it goes deeper than that. The Jews were notorious in the Roman world for cutting on something the Gentiles thought ought not to be cut on. Just being really honest, kids. Parents, you'll have to explain to kids what we're talking about this morning later. They were notorious in the Roman world. They did what? The Gentiles, too, were thought to be unclean and undesirable because they were uncircumcised and didn't carry the mark of the covenant family. The rift between Jews and Gentiles was profound. If you want to get some sense of what a Jew thought of a Gentile, read the book of Jonah. God sends Jonah to Nineveh and tells him he wants Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites so that they'll repent. And Jonah says, you want me to do what? You want me to go preach to who? 
Let me see if I can find the first boat in the opposite direction. The Jews had true and real contempt for Gentiles. If a Gentile woman was in labor and about to give birth to a human being, Jews were instructed to not assist them, for that would be bringing another vile Gentile into the world. If a Jew married a Gentile, his family gave him a funeral because it was as if he died. If a Jew were to simply enter the home of a Gentile, they were to be considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. The notion of these two groups together in a church family is really amazing. It's like a miracle. It would be like raising someone from the dead. It would be like speaking loaves and fishes into multiplication. It would be like giving sight to the blind. A church mixed, a biblical church mixed with these two groups moving like family. It would be truly a walking testimony, a walking miracle. That's what Paul develops in this passage on through the rest of the chapter. That's where we're going to be going in the next three weeks. But first, though, this morning, what we're going to be dealing with is what Paul wants the Gentiles to be especially aware of as he shares their good news. He wants them to remember where they came from. He wants them to have in view the terrible lot of the Gentiles. And again, I want to remind you, we're going to look at five things in these next few minutes. As we're speaking about those Gentiles, we're just as easily, just as readily speaking about us Gentiles. Now, first of all, I'll just go ahead and tell you what the five are, and we're going to spend a few minutes unpacking them. They're separated from Christ. It comes right from these passages. Verse 12, they're separated from Christ. They're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Third, they're strangers to the covenants of promise. Fourth, they have no hope. And fifth, they're without God in the world. We're going to spend a few minutes just unpacking these. First of all, they're separated from Christ. The book of Galatians tells us that the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. And I need to point out that the Gentiles did not have that law. The law was given at Sinai, and if you've read the passage in Exodus, you know that there were no Gentiles in the area. The law was given to Israel, not to the Gentiles. So it, were, it was Israel, it, were the Jews, it was the Jews that had that 1,500-year lesson and tutor that would create an itch in the, back of their, in the middle of their back that could only be scratched with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Gentiles didn't have that. They had no law, so they had no awareness of the need even for a Savior. They had no messianic hope. They had no awareness that they needed a Messiah at all, much less that Yahweh would provide one. The Gentiles had no account of the fall of man in Genesis. They had no Moses giving them that information, so they had no details as to what happened in the garden They also had no promise that Eve's offspring was going to crush the head of the serpent. What serpent? They didn't know any of that information. 
They had no Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 that tell us great detail about the suffering servant that would bear our stripes. They weren't aware of that. They weren't aware that they had stripes that need to be born. They had no Micah 5. Listen to this passage. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who's able to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. They had no Micah telling them to look to Bethlehem. They didn't know who to look for. They didn't even know where to look. They might just happen to be blessed stumble upon a curious star that might lead three of them there. And even in that, they had to ask the Jews where to find him. Man, the Gentiles were separated from Christ. Secondly, they're alienated from Israel, the commonwealth of Israel. God had a special relationship with Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 9 says this, But the Lord's portion is His people, Jacob or Israel, His allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling wastes of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. This is true about Israel. It's not true of the Gentiles. God chose Israel among all peoples, and had a special relationship with Israel, not with the Gentiles. He gave Israel the covenants. He gave Israel the laws. Israel got the priesthood. Israel was given a sacrificial system. Israelites received promises, guidance, and deliverance. Psalm 147 verse 20 says, He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know His rules. Praise the Lord. The Gentiles had none of these things. They received no special blessing, no special protection of being part of God's people. And you know, honestly, if you think about it, they were actually time and time again on the wrong side of God's deliverance. For it's the Egyptians that drowned in the Red Sea. It's the Amalekites that lived in Jericho. It's the Midianites that were defeated by Gideon and his army. The Philistines were on the wrong side of God's deliverance time after time after time. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, these are Gentiles. They were excluded and alienated. From the commonwealth of Israel. And they're strangers to the covenants of promise. The third thing. Strangers to the covenants of promise. There's a plural there, covenants, that I want to pay attention to. Because there are three covenants that I think that we can connect to here. First of all, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. I would encourage you as a family, as a life group maybe this week, to read that covenant. Abrahamic Covenant, chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 4. The next was the Davidic Covenant in 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. And third is the New Covenant in Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. 
Three beautiful covenants of promise that were given to Israel, not given to Gentiles. In these covenants, God promised land, as in promised land, that you hear talked about over and over again in the Old Testament. They were promised seed, as in continued seed, as a growing nation. But more importantly, the seed of David that would bring forth the Messiah. These covenants of promise were not made to Gentiles. They were made to Jews. They were promised blessings of a new covenant, in fact, by which they would know God in a very special and intimate way. Gentiles did not have any of these things. God chose Israel, and he bound himself to Israel with promises. And apart from being part of God's people in Israel, there's no way to participate in these covenant benefits. Gentiles were no more in the covenant than you are part of someone else's marriage. The Gentiles are the poor single guy on the outside looking in at God's marriage to Israel. Excluded. Alienated. Separated from God in the world. Fourth, they had no hope. No hope. Israel had this. Psalm 146 verse 5 said, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. That's what Israel had. They actually had the personification of hope in Yahweh. The Gentiles had no hope though. Israel had a hope that the God of Israel had a blessed future in store for them. The Gentiles had no awareness of that. They had no hope at all. They had no hope for a meaningful afterlife. No hope of a death being swallowed up in victory. They had no hope of death having its sting removed. The Gentiles had nothing to look forward to, no expectation that God would work in their lives. They had no knowledge of salvation that would even include the notion of resurrection and eternal life. They had nothing to look forward to. Hopeless. And lastly, without God in the world. Without God in the world. The word there in Greek is the word atheos, is where we get atheist. They weren't completely godless, for they were pantheists, worshiping all sorts of things. Anything that they could make or that was alive, that they could look at, that they could touch. The problem wasn't that they didn't have a God, but that they didn't have the one true God. That's what made them atheos. And though God was declared through creation and general revelation, they did not have the specific revelation of God's word explaining and exposing who he is and what he was up to. So the best they could do is muster some idols, carve them, fashion them. They were without God in the world. Paul's summary of their condition is that they were far off. They were far off. Now, what do we do with this this morning? I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We really just have three easy, straightforward examples of how to respond. And it comes right from this passage. 
The only imperative in this passage in verses 11 through 22 through the rest of Ephesians chapter 2 is the word, the imperative, remember. Paul has just shared five terrible things about the Gentile lot. And the imperative that he gives them is the word remember. If you're not sure what imperative means, just imagine someone saying to you, it is imperative that you get this. You can get the sense and the tone there to understand what's being said. And it's the only imperative in that verses 11 through 22. It's important here. And Paul is telling the Gentiles, remember. Remember what you were, Gentiles. And the present tense imperative suggests that it should be an ongoing remembrance. And we can consider, too, that it's not an ongoing remembrance just for the Ephesian Gentiles, but maybe an ongoing, ongoing remembrance for some Greenville Gentiles. So let's consider some blessings of remembering. Some blessings of remembering these five things as being our terrible lot. Deuteronomy, I think, is the place to go. We're just going to look at three passages in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, I think, is a book about remembering. It was written after the wilderness wanderings. Moses is on Mount Nebo. They're looking over into the promised land. And in some ways, Moses is pointing them back to their exodus, even beyond that, to their slavery, then their exodus, then their wilderness wanderings, to prepare them to walk well in the promised land. It's a book about remembering. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Let's look at a blessing of remembering. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Let me just offer this for you. If remembering is good enough for the Jew, then it's good enough for the Gentile. And remembering in this case, Moses is calling the nation of Israel, the Jews, to remember where they were so that they can rest where they are. Think about what he's talking about here. He's talking about how they, they recognize and practice the Sabbath. A day a week... You remember. A day a week, Jews, you remember that he raised up Moses. You didn't raise him up. He raised up Moses. A day a week, they are to remember that he brought the plagues. A day a week, they are to remember that he led them out with a column of fire and smoke. He parted the Red Sea and drowned Pharaoh's army. A day a week, the Jews are to remember that he did all the work. It's like a weekly reminder, Jews, that you couldn't do any of those things. So today, on this one day a week, on this Sabbath day, you rest. And you remember. Man, I want you to think about it. If it's good enough for the Jews, it's good enough for the Gentiles. And in some ways, those five things that we looked at this morning are the Gentiles' Egyptian slavery. It's the Gentile version of what the Jews were doing in, in Egypt. 
And it's the Gentile version of remembering their Egypt so they can rest well in Christ with those same applications that He did all the work. Remember your Egypt, Gentiles, and rest in Christ. Man, there's blessings in remembering. Here's the next. It's right across the page in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I told you it was a book about remembering. Look at verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, or in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Remembering where you were, remembering where you came from, helps you enjoy where you are. Remembering where you were helps you rest in where you are, but it also helps you enjoy where you are. See, Israel forgot very quickly what slavery was like. And I think all of us tend to forget the heartache of our lives before him. Some of you, like me, came to Christ at a very early age and were raised in the church. And in some ways, you may have a hard time relating to this. But some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you that came to Christ later on in life can remember your slavery and your bondage and your taskmasters and your brick that you made with straw. Remembering those things can help you enjoy your freedom and blessing now. And climbing into the hopelessness of the Gentiles today should equip every single one of us, even those who were raised in the church, to know that even if we came to Christ as a little one, what and where we would be but for Christ. A terrible lot, excluded, far off, without Christ, without God in the world, and hopeless. Here's the third thing. The page over, chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Take care, Israel, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, 
that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. If it's good enough for the Jews, it's good enough for the Gentiles. And remembering what God did, remembering their lot, would keep them from becoming proud. Remembering would keep them from thinking that they pulled themselves out of their mess. Maybe the Gentiles remembering these five things would help them know that they did not right themselves. They were outside the covenants with no way to connect because they had no access. It wasn't even offered to them yet. They should no more be proud about their state as believers in the the Ephesian church, then Gomer should be proud that she's home with Hosea. You need to read the book of Hosea to understand what I'm talking about there. There's no room for pride for Jew or Gentile. Remembering the Gentile lot, remembering our lot, keeps us or helps us Rest in Christ. It helps us enjoy Him well. And it keeps us humble. I thought this morning that we may have failed at remembering these things, but I don't know that we necessarily failed at remembering these things. I just don't know that most of us are really that aware of these five things. I mean, just think for a moment. Were you? I'm being honest with you as your pastor this morning, as your preacher for the morning, studying Ephesians for years and preparing to preach this morning. I don't know that I had a keen, acute awareness of these five things as being my lot, separated from Christ. Yeah, I think I knew that. Before Christ, yes, I was separated. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I wouldn't necessarily consider that in my top five. But if they're God's people and they get the blessing, that's bad news. Strangers to the covenants of promise. I might have pieced that one together. No hope. Yeah, I could have grabbed that one. The last one, without God in the world. Man, what, if anything, what we've done this morning is we've prepared ourselves to remember. We've equipped ourselves to remember. We have five things that hopefully a room full of Gentiles can together remember and celebrate that all five of these things are past tense. And they're past tense because of what Christ has done, period. That's what we're going to be enjoying here in the supper in these next few minutes, and it's what we're going to be enjoying this next week. I'll go ahead and share our passage, and then we can distribute some elements and take the supper together. Luke chapter 22 gives the account of the Lord's Supper, beginning in verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's distribute the elements.